You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Good morning. So, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 4, there's a scripture verse in there that Paul opens up. He says, for that which we've been comforted by, we want to comfort you. In other words, what God was doing in their lives, in their suffering, and the comfort God brought and the work that God did, he says, I'm bringing it to you so that you might have that. Uh, that you might be comforted with, which we've been comforted for. And it's always an encouragement when, um, when you see somebody going through it and you watch them walk through those things and you see God show up. And they're telling you the testimony. They're telling you what God has done because we draw strength from that, don't we? That's the way the body of Christ really works. Just a minute ago, we, we took communion and I'm always remembered that the bread, you know, we take the bread. If you were to do that let's say 2,000 years ago when Jesus was doing this, he would have taken a, um, a bread that was whole and it would have been an unleavened and he would have broken it apart. And as he's breaking it apart, he would have given each one of you a piece of this. And then what they normally did was they would talk about the Passover and the celebration of the Passover when they, when they, when they did this and talk about the deliverance of Israel and what God has done. And they would bring back to remembrance. But Jesus took it and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And he says, this I'm giving to you. This is my body, I'm giving it to you. The scriptures declare that by his stripes we're healed. And there's an element of communion that always speaks to my heart, and that's the fact that when we partake of that loaf, we're all partaking a little piece of something that's whole. In other words, we're all partaking of Jesus. We're all on the same page, all on the same thing. And when we all see ourselves as the body of Christ, we are his body, not independent, not, and even though we're all parts of it, we're all make up what is whole. And that, the Bible teaches us, is by his, um, by his stripes we're healed that this bread brings the reality of a healing that comes into our life. We take physical bread, we eat it, you receive nourishment. By the same testimony, or the same token, that when we celebrate Christ and share what our journeys are and what God is doing, and when you see the hand of God, you're encouraged, you're nourished, you're built up, you're edified. That's the spirit in which I come to you guys today. In. So let me, uh, let me start with my story just a little bit, but um, one of the things... Um, about, I, I don't know, it's been 10, 11 years ago, God called us to plant a church in uh, Anthem from Southern California. We were in Southern California, and, and the Lord put this calling, and he just, he gave us the, uh, um, uh, the confirmation that was just, we couldn't over-spiritualize it, we wasn't, you know, we didn't, we know it was the Lord. And with that came all these expectations that I had, that, oh, God's called us, we're going to go. And, and I left and, and uh, left the church we've been part of for 20 years then and, and uh, left uh, our friends and all of the ministry and where, the uh, pastor world that I was uh, the assistant pastor there. And we left to do this church plant. And um, nine years ago, uh, or about 10 years, I guess, uh, it came to an end. And it didn't come to an end the way I thought it was going to come to an end. In fact, I didn't think it was going to come to an end. So we found ourselves here in North Valley about a year ago. And we really, my wife and I, we've been in a process of just being, you know, healing and just trying to process um, what happened. But hence the word, I struggled with some extreme disappointments. This lesson I want to share with you guys today, we're going to be in John chapter 21. Really, that's a word that God has given to me on a very personal level of ministering to my discouragement, recognizing the discouragement in, uh, that Peter had. And also the restoration, because you see, Peter's discouragement was, had a couple different levels. And one, it was discouragement in the context he didn't understand what happened. We had expectations of what Jesus was going to do, and it didn't happen. 
And then he had his own personal disappointment because he denied the Lord and he was still wrestling with that. So he had two levels of disappointment that he had to overcome. And John chapter 21 is that restoration piece. And for me, it speaks life and gets me very encouraged. In the process of this pastoral uh, ministry that we had, uh, that we were part of, uh, we ended up adopting nine kids. And um, actually, the way that journey worked is we adopted seven. And um, they, they're all brothers and sisters, all connected. And um, so we adopted the seven. And then the parents had two more in a different state, and, or actually had one more. And the state recognized that this is not, something's not right something's wrong and so they immediately took that one so then we were like we're not gonna separate this family this is our family you know we're gonna take them and then they had another one so there were two more and in that journey as my wife and I uh we we really wanted to keep this family together they're they're our family we wanted to keep them together so we took all nine so as you guys can imagine now we have four biological children I have nine adopted children that makes how many yeah it's very good very good 13 that's more fingers than I have on my hand Trying to get a picture, a family picture with all of them together, you know, and get them all smiling correctly. Oh, man, the more kids you have, I've learned that the odds increase, you will not have a successful picture. So in my dilemma, I went to my wife and I said, honey, we have to have a picture because they always, you know, at the church, they show you pictures, you know, they do that, right? You know, build a little connection piece. I need a picture. And she goes, oh, sweetheart, I have one. I have one. So let me show you a picture of all of my kids in perfect form, smiling. (laughs) My daughter drew that. <laughs> so now what we have now, though, is we learn, okay, you want smiling or you want a presentable picture, you just take it in smaller bites. So this is our smaller bites. And, and um, so this is my family. And um, so we have the, the redhead up in the top corner there. That's my bird. And that's Haley Bird. It's my oldest biological daughter, her husband, Noah. And then as we move along, of course, I want you to understand there is a test at the end of this. You have to get all these names down because I had to do it. Um, we have Elijah, we have Noah, we have Esther, and then we have our little M up there, Emily. Coming down, I have my son, Tage, my uh, son, Enoch, of course, my beautiful wife, who's the real hero of the story beside Jesus. And we have Ruth, Joshua, we have Jaron, we have uh, Caitlin, we have David, we have Joel, and we have Riley. Joel is uh, Riley's husband. So that's my family. And they've been on this journey with us. Now... We took on all of the kids. We stepped out in obedience to God's calling to the ministry. It didn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. We answered the calling and we did what Jesus told us to do when we adopted. And, and um, I want you to understand, I don't have any regrets, but to tell you that it's been easy would be a lie. It's extraordinarily difficult. We have kids that have autism. We literally, Lori and I, you know, we had our four biological kids. We were on coming to the tail end of, of their journey in the sense of going into the coaching phase. You know, they're adults. They're moving into adults. They're teenagers and, you know, and about ready to graduate. We're, we're coaching now and we're sailing. And then we brought them all on and we found ourselves doing diapers again. That was really weird, you know. And then, and then um, uh, as we were dealing with that, you know, children that are adopted, that, that, that have been taken from their biological parents, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of things that you just do not count on. You don't understand, you know, what's going to happen. There are all types of dynamics. And figuring this out, so literally, Lori and I have had to really learn how to reparent. Because how we parented our biological children is a lot different 
because there's different circumstances or different things that influence behaviors. You think it's rebellion. It's not. It's usually connected to something way different. And so your response has to be, but unfortunately, my flesh doesn't like that. It'd rather just do it what it did, you know? Because I'll be honest with you, I was an authoritarian type of parent, you know? And um, that's how, you know, uh, it was loving, but I was, you know, hey, one-time obedience. That, 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 that ship sailed. That dog don't hunt no more. It's not one-time obedience. It, now it's, you know, and have to be in that. And that's very exhausting and tiring. I tell you, the saint is my wife. But any regrets? No. Have there been disappointments? Mostly with my response. Mostly like, well, hey, Lord, you told us to do this, but I don't feel like I can do it. You ever been there? God asks you to do something, and then you find yourself in the midst of it, and you step through the doors of obedience, and then you find yourself struggling. I don't know. You know? So hence the idea of the study, disappointment. Serving God and disappointment. I think it's relatable. I think it's all. I want to take you to John chapter 21. Would you turn your Bibles there if you have them, or your, however you follow along? But um, now let me jump. Let me do this really quickly, okay? My teaching style is a little bit different, as you guys probably already imagined, from Pastor Ryan, and um, I don't have the same skill set that that brother does. I mean, I, he's really gifted. Like he can do these like outlines, and then he flows right through it, and it's just all put together really well. And I sit there and listen to these things, and I'm just like amazed at that how, that gift set. You know, me, you know, I'm a flowing kind of teacher and I, and I, and I teach him from that direction. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it easy for us. And I'm going to go through all of the little fill in sections right now. And then I'm going to get into the meat. Okay. So that's how I'm going to play this out. And you'll understand it because once I get into the text and, and we start unpackaging this and, and looking at this, you're going to say, oh, I see where he's going with it. Yeah, I can get that. And hopefully, and if not, then I'm just, you know, well, it is what it is. So, uh, disappointment can be experienced by Christians. Okay? Disappointment can be experienced by Christians. The Bible is filled with saints and people that struggled with disappointment. One of the reasons why I put that in there is because I feel like so often we, um, in disappointment, we tend to want to uh, suppress it because we go, oh, I shouldn't be disappointed. Love, joy, peace, those are the things I should be feeling, you know, and then we suppress. But the, that's not real. Suppression only going to cause you damage. Confession. Now that does something to bring healing. So God can use disappointment for growth. God can use disappointment for growth. And that's great to know. God can use disappointment to deepen my trust in him. God can use disappointment to deepen my trust in him. And then I'll jump down here. To, God can use disappointment as a witness to others. The work that God is doing in our life is a testimony it is a declaration of what God's doing, and that's a witness. So God can use your disappointment as a testimony to others. That's a big deal. Now, this is a Bible verse right here that, that I use that when I think about disappointment, and this is a promise that God gives and one that I would ask that everyone would commit to a memory. And this is found in Romans 8, 28, and it says, God will work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a great promise to hold on to? That's what God speaks to each one of us today. God will work all things together for good. That word all is all-inclusive. It means good things, bad things, everything that you find that's happening in your scenario, in your scope, in your life, God is able to use it for good. And that's a great encouragement because guess what? We live in a fallen world, and so to expect no effect from the sin of this world is pretty naive and unbiblical. And then if I jump down to the, uh, the, the bottom here, what should we do when we face disappointment? 
We kind of hit this nail already. Confess how you feel to God and do not suppress. God knows where you're at. You don't have to hide anything from God. What God wants is honesty and transparency, and we're going to see that in our text today. Then number two, ask God for wisdom and his will to be done. Ask God. Lord, James tells us that if any man lacks wisdom, ask of God. He gives to all liberally without reproach, but let him ask in faith. So we need to ask God for wisdom and also trust that God knows what he's doing. We're going to see that in our text today too. And then number three, how to deal with disappointment or discouragement. Find ways to praise him. He is working good things and his plans are perfect. How do you praise God? Figure out how to praise him. All right, so let's jump into our text that I'm very, very excited about, John chapter 21. We're in a story, um, a section of the scriptures in, um, in John's gospel that Jesus is bringing the restoration and the calling again of ministry to the disciples. And we're going to see this as, as we move through this. Now, verse 21, verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Kenya in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now that sounds like great, but we're not talking about sports fishing here. We're not talking about recreational fishing. We're talking about going back to the profession that he knew before he was called into the ministry. This statement, I'm going back fishing, says that I don't know what Jesus is doing. I know that he returned, but I, he's not with us. He's not walking with us in the same way. I don't, I, I, I'm confused. I'm disappointed because I expected when the Messiah has come, we're all going to be elevated to positions of authority, power. He's going to overthrow the hypocrisy of the uh, religious system and, and, and restore the kingdom. But that didn't happen. Now, I want to point out something about that disappointment. Do you think that Jesus didn't know that that table was being set? I think he knew it very well. He knew what the expectations of the Messiah was. He knew all the promises of the Messiah and those expectations will be fulfilled. But not in the timing that they thought. The idea of him dying was clouded and progressively revealed. And the two Messiahs, one reigning for eternity and, and dying, they didn't, they didn't seem to jive. They, they didn't seem to make sense. And so the disappointment that Jesus was crucified, and then he died. It changed all those expectations that they thought that they had. And I believe they were extremely disappointed. And I suspect, I'm going back to fishing, boys. Now, here's the thing with Peter. Is Peter is a natural leader. And the boy says, we're in there with you. We're going fishing too. We don't know what Jesus is doing. We don't know what's happening. I don't understand. Our whole world for the last three years, we've been invested in this It's all been turned upside down. But this is what God is doing here. Watch this. So they said, we're going fishing, and they immediately got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. But in the morning had come, now Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have any food? It was common for somebody to stand on the shore of a commercial fisherman that wouldn't be at all. Hey, you guys got any fish? You know, I might want to buy some, you know. So it's not an uncommon question, but here's the thing that I find that it's in there and it's specific. It says, children, you have any fish? There's no rebuke. These boys have decided to walk away from the ministry to go back to what they knew. And Jesus calls them children. And he brings them to this place and says, you guys got any food? And you're looking for food, right? 
looking for fish? They answered, no. Verse six, he says, so cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So they cast it on the, on the other side and man, there's so many fish, they can't even pull it in, right? Now, this is a trigger moment, a setup by the Lord. You see, this, if you parallel it and you go back, in, in, in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus, when he called the disciples, when he called these guys into it, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately dropped their nets and said, we're in. Let's follow Jesus. In Luke's gospel, chapter five, we get a little bit more of the story of how that broke down. And what it was, Jesus was ministering from the boat out to the multitude. And then he told them, he says, hey guys, cast your net on this side of the boat. They did. They haul in a huge haul of fish, like uh, an unnatural amount of fish. And Peter literally throws himself down at the feet of the Lord, says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And in Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And they left their nets and they followed Jesus for the next three years. They were following him. Now you're in the same thing. I don't know what Jesus is doing. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what's happening. I'm going back to fishing boys. Now we're on there. This guy yells out, you got any food? No, we don't have no food. Throw your net on the other side. Okay, throw it out on the other night because sometimes from the different shore, depending on the elevations, you might be able to see the schools and you can't see it when you're on the boat. But they throw it out. But here's the thing. The haul of fish that they took they knew that's different. That's supernatural. That's something miraculous. And the Bible says the, fit, the net didn't break. And then John cries out and he says, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. Peter says, it's the Lord. He gets his, throws on his outer garment, puts it back on. You know, he stripped himself down because they're working in the sun on the fishing boat, right? So he's in his work attire, if you will. Jesus is there. He throws on his coat, his outer coat, gets back and dives into the water and he swims because he wants to get to Jesus, right? Meanwhile, the scriptures tell us that Simon Peter, or as it was, let me back up a little bit. Therefore, um, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter in verse 7, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, and they were dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it, bread, and Jesus said, bring some of the fish in which you have caught. Now, understand our context. Our context is ministry. Why so? Because here Jesus called them into the ministry and they're going and leaving the ministry and going back to fishing because of whatever the disappointment, whatever the confusion is. But here the invitation is to partake with Jesus and here he's got this breakfast already set. And what he invites them to do is, hey, bring some of the fish that you have. Now, the reality of ministry, the ministry is God's. That's the ministry. Now, let me tell you something about ministry. Did you know that each one of you are called into the ministry? Every born-again, believing Christian is ministry. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are called into the ministry. And God is doing a work to touch others through the work he's doing in your life, in your transformation. He saved you from your sins, and he's sanctifying you, setting you apart for his beauty to unfold in your life. So you go, well, how do I have the ministry of God? Let God do great things in your life. Let God have his way. But here's the thing. You need to know it's his ministry. So then how do I participate in it? Come and sit down and enjoy it. Enjoy the meal. He's got it all ready. But here's what he does. He gives us each one of the privilege to participate in the ministry. 
And what God is doing, God is doing a great work, and he's inviting us to be part of that great work. And so what he says is, bring some of the fish. You mean the fish that you just miraculously did? Now look what happens here, though. You have four guys, right, trying to bring in the net, couldn't do it. Jesus says, bring me some of the fish. The word of God goes forward. Jesus comes out and gives out the command. Peter walks over, grabs the net by himself, brings it in. So four guys couldn't do it, but now Peter is all of a sudden able to do that. To me, there's keys there of this, the beauty of how God works. When I step through, God is asking me to do things that I can't do. But he's not asking me to do it in the power of my might or what I bring to the game or my intellect or abilities. What he's asking me is follow and trust him. That's how you're going to see this play out. So the invitation goes forward and, and to, to join him in this meal, bring some of the fish because we get the privilege of participating in the work of God and eat. And how do we do it? Well, when Jesus says, come, he comes. He grabs the fish. He brings in the net by himself. He comes. So verse 11, Simon Peter, what up? Drag the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. That's the beauty of what God does. See, God's hands all over this. The catch, the net, the provision, the ability, the strength, God's all over it. The invitation, you remember? The invitation to ministry. I called you, remember? And now I'm calling you again. Don't be disappointed. Be encouraged. I know what I'm doing. That's the invitation, the trust. Now, there's a second level of disappointment, though, that Peter had to deal with, and that was... Uh, again, we get a little bit more of this information. You can go back to John chapter 13 or you can look at some of the other gospels where, John, where Jesus says, this day you will be made to stumble and you will all leave or forsake me. In John chapter uh, 13, um, it's recorded that Peter made this statement. He says, Lord, if everyone else denies you, not me, I will die. I'm prepared to die for you. I'm prepared to die for you. Okay. Well, as you guys know the story in the crucifixion, and Peter, I, I believe that he had this kind of love and, and was ready to do it. When they came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who pulled out his sword, whacked off the servant's high uh, ear, right? Whoosh, to start to say, let's get down, let's get dirty, you know? And Jesus is like, put away your sword. You don't think I can command a legion of angels to come down and deal with this? You need to let me do what I'm doing, Peter. Put your sword away. If I wanted that, I would have said that. He who lives by that sword's going to die by it. It's not what, that's not this. And so what ends up happening is they do arrest Jesus, but panic ensures, and then all the disciples, they run because they realize this is going to get ugly. Peter, on the other hand, though, he does something a little bit different. He follows along, right, kind of from, from the behind. And he sees them bring him in, and then the scriptures declare, show us that when Peter's watching what's happening, he's in the courtyard where they're interrogating Jesus, and he's kind of warming himself by the fires of the servants, right? And he's out there warming, watching what's happening. And he sees the, the brutality. He sees the injustice. He sees the circus of what they're calling uh, a trial, if you will, the first one, the interview, looking for the charges. And when they determine that... Um, that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy and that he was going to be crucified, he watched them pummel him, spit at him, mock him, prophesy who hit you now, and just beat on him. And Jesus watches this, or Peter's watching this, all this dynamic happen. And at this moment, as the scriptures unfold, it, it says that one of the, one of the uh, servants says, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? Yeah, yeah, you're one of those disciples. And Peter says, no, no, I'm not. 
Peter, suddenly, you know, I'm willing to die for you. That went out the window when the brutality and the reality of the suffering and what was happening was in play. The darkness and just the ugliness of this. And this happened three times. And Peter literally denied the Lord three times, ultimately cursing. Ultimately coming to a place, you know, bringing an oath against himself and just cursing. But then that third time, the rooster crowed and he remembered that Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And the scriptures declare that they made eye contact. And Peter was so broken that he ran, fleed, weeping, sobbing. That's great disappointment. I thought I loved the Lord. I thought I was, you know, I was there for him. I thought I was ready for this ministry. And it didn't go down that way. So when we look at this, verses 15 through uh, 20 here, we find how Jesus now brings that disappointment, deals with that disappointment in Peter's life, and we get some keys. Because I think that all of us struggle with our ability or inability or sometimes what is the Lord doing? I don't understand. Or maybe even disappointment. Lord, you know, we, we took on these kids. Look at how great we are. To only find out that you have anger issues. To find out that you have problems. Well, I came to pastor this church to find out that there ain't a church to pastor anymore. But you called. And you find out these disappointments. And yet I can see and I relate, you know, and that's why this is very personal for me. And yet as I look at this, I find this incredible hope and beauty in which God is inviting me into. He's inviting you into. How to deal with our disappointments and trust. See, Jesus goes, now they have this breakfast. And so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter's, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now our English translation here is using uh, one English word to translate two different Greek words. And it's important for us to understand that because it really adds some context to this. And, and so the words that are being used here is the word love. There are several different Greek words for the word love to express different elements of love, but we only use one English word. Earlier in the first service, I had talked about, hey, how many of you love pizza? I only had like three hands, so we're going to admit it. You don't have to raise your hand, because I already know. You know, you love pizza, but do you love pizza like you love your wife or your children? See, that changes and shades the different word love. In the Greek, though, it's expressive in such a way that it actually is articulated in meaning and really signifies that. And so the word that that Peter professed to love Jesus with was a word called agape, and that agape love is a word that's associated with the kind of love that God loves. And this emphasis of this kind of love, the beauty of this word love, that, that agape, is that it's willing, it loves for the sake of love. It doesn't, it's, it's just going to do the right thing at all times. Even to the point of sacrificing its own self, because it's right. That's the kind of love that Jesus loved you with, loves me with. When he sacrificed himself, he loved us, not based on what you bring to the game, but based on because our God is a loving God and because you are valuable to him, because you are created for him. Well, that's the kind of love that Peter professed and thought that he had. But you know what? When it was put to the trial and the test, it was revealed, it was opened up, and he realized, I, uh, yeah, I don't. Here's the kind of love that I love you with. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Because he professed, I don't care if all these other guys deny you, not me, I'm with you. I'm even willing to go to my death for you. And then they all say, yeah, we are too. But that wasn't the truth. I think it's what they believe, but one of the works of the Spirit is to bring truth. The Bible says to know the truth, the truth sets you free. Set you free from what? The lies that are keeping you 
from the beauty that God wants to unfold in your life. The beauty of having a relationship with the living God who sees you as precious and wants intimacy with you, fellowship, a relationship. The lies that keep us and hinder that growth in the grace and the knowledge of our God and the allowing of the expression of what you were created for to be created in the image of God, which is what the Bible says the work of the Spirit is doing. And so here Peter would say, Lord, I phileo you. Now that's a different Greek word, that word phileo, that love that he professes. He says, you know I have strong affection for you. It's a good and it's a beautiful word. It means that I love you because what you bring and how much joy I get from you and what I'm receiving from you. So it's a love that's lower than agape because love just loves regardless of what it's consequent or whatever it is because it's going to love because it loves the value, the value you know, the, that person. It doesn't get anything back from it per se. It does it because it's right. Whereas phileo, I like my friends because why? Because they're cool. Or I like my, because I eat my wife or because, you know, I, I love what I get back from that. And, it's, and that's nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing, but it's lower. And so that's the love in which he is professing. He says, you know, I have strong affection for you. You know that I love you with this phileo love, this friendship, this brotherly, this, you know, you know that you're important to me. I, I have strong affection for you. And Jesus said, to him when he replies with that word, he says, feed my lambs. This happens three times, but let me show you how this plays out. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The second time, do you agape me? You know that I phileo you. The third time, now the third time is a key because on the third time, the text changes a little bit or we get a little bit more information. So now the response is, Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. The third time, he said, the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? Do you agape me? And actually, no. This time, Jesus uses a different word. Do you phileo me? And that's what grieved him because here he professed to have agape and now Jesus is questioning the phileo. Do you? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know all things. And right now, you know the best that I know that I know, I, I, I phileo you. Feed my sheep. Now here's the beauty of this, because you see, Peter hadn't arrived to this kind of agape love that God wanted to do, and God's not really rebuking this. What he's dealing with is that, yes, in yourself, Peter, you don't have the ability, but let me tell you something. Stay the course, feed my sheep, continue. Because this work in which I've started in you, I'll complete it. You just have to do one thing, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Don't stop the ministry. Don't quit. Just feed my sheep. As Peter receives this word and he hears this thing, it now moves into another place. You see, why does Peter know that he doesn't agape him? Because he denied him and he wasn't willing to go to his death. And so, of course, this is a big disappointment in Peter. I thought that I had this. I thought I'd go die for him, but I wouldn't. But Jesus gives him prophecy and tells him this is what's going to happen. He says, Feed my sheep, for most assuredly I say to you, when you are younger and you girded yourself and walked where you wish, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. He spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. So in other words, Peter, you're going to be crucified. And Peter understood that. And the beauty of that is you don't have to be afraid of denying me. You don't have to be afraid of death. 
You just need to do one thing. You focus on what's in front of you right now. Feed my sheep. Keep moving forward. Trust me to do this work. Take your disappointment and put it at my feet and know that I know what I'm doing and be encouraged by that because the invitation to ministry, it's there for you, Peter. I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped loving you. I'm doing this. Come, hold on. And so as Peter hears this and he sees this, he understands what's happening. He knows. But Jesus' key to this was follow me. Don't stop following. Keep following me. But what happens in this next little piece here and then closing is something that um, I think happens to a lot of us. Is we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start looking at other people and what God's doing in other people. And that's exactly what the text does is that then Peter turning around, he saw the disciple in verse 20 whom Jesus loved following who had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays me? Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Now there's Jesus' response to that. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? In other words, if he doesn't get crucified or I will till I come back and he stays, what is that to you? Follow me. You cannot use what happens or other people as an excuse to not follow Jesus. We got to keep our eyes fixed. We got we to follow. And I'm recapping on this in the next minute here. I would point out a couple of things just to, to bring it back home. That Peter thought he thought about, uh, failed. Had expectations they weren't met. Thought that he loved the Lord in a way that was above everybody else, which wasn't. Had his eyes focused. In all of those failures, here's what you get though. You get a man that we see in the scriptures who became just like Jesus. Because why? He didn't quit. He let God have his work. And God shaped his heart and used Peter in a significant way, powerful way, in which today we get to partake of that work and see it and get encouraged and strengthened by it. It was Peter that set the way for Paul. Paul, the missionary, to the, the, the bring the proclamation to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. It was Peter that, that got that, this incredible love for the people that was so much unfolded in his life that he refused to run away when he could have escaped. But he says, no, this is my time and I'm ready. And doesn't. What would keep him that course? Because he knew the Lord's work and he knew the people. He loved his people. It was God who started the good work. It was God who completed it. It's the same true for you. Be encouraged, saints. And sometimes life comes up as difficult. And when God asks some things of you and you step to the plate and then you find out it's not the reward, it's not what you thought, it's not what it was. You can trust God because God's doing deep things. Because he's good. See, one of the things we celebrate about God is he's holy. Which means what? It means there's no sin with God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't treat him. He never treats me the way that I treat him. Because in my journey in this level of disappointments that I've had, I found myself kicking and screaming the entire time. And yet, here the Lord would give me and speak to me and continue to encourage and say, don't quit, don't stop, don't follow me. Be content where you're at in this part. Those little saints that I've given you, love them, serve them, tell them about me.
the people that you have scopes and influence of, people that have seen your ministry. I'll be honest with you. We have Pastor Bob Lehman come and, and share. And I know Bob because he knew that I was, did the church plan and had a relationship with him. He's a beautiful guy, but man, it was really hard for me because I came over here to hide. And then I tried to move. Texas. I even got my boots on. I was wearing those way before that. God didn't say that he didn't allow me to. He said, stay and follow me. I don't know what the, the plan is. I honestly don't. But here's the plan that I do know. God is good. And he's perfect in all his ways. And I'd rather him take down and shut down a ministry for what he wants to do because he's perfect because I'm not. I'd rather him shut doors than me to go through a door that really wasn't his. I'd rather allow God to do his work and all the time what he does is he peels away the deceptions and the lies from my heart that I thought, oh, I'm this, I'm that, or I would have, I would have died for you, Jesus, really? You want to quit now? <laughs> God's good. And that's the testimony, that's the word I have for you. He started with an imperfect man and he completed a perfect work. And he'll do the same for you because this was written for our admonishment, exhortation, and encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen? Lord, I went over a minute here. So I'm just going to come to you and just say thank you, Lord, for the celebration of your word and for the truth that you bring to our heart. I pray, God, for the ears to hear and the eyes to see and all that you have, that, Lord, that we would follow you, that we would not quit and that we would be real in discouragement or in successes, but that we can all celebrate them because, God, you are a good God who will never leave us nor forsake us, that you who started the good work will complete it, that all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so we say yes to your will and yes to your authority of your word and yes to your promises in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.